Welcome back, everyone, to the Mid-South Television Review Show. I am Mike Mills, and I am sitting here with the great Brian Lass, and we're going to take you through another great episode of Mid-South Wrestling from April the 3rd, 1982. And just as we are back, so is Cowboy Bill Watts back in this week's episode. But before we get to this week's episode, Brian, let me welcome you in. How you doing this week, man? I am doing fantastic, Mike, and of course, I'm doing fantastic because... Mid-South Wrestling is picked up. We said it was going to happen, and now the TV is must-watch. It's essential wrestling television. Cool things are happening each and every week, and of course, with the big cowboy back, we get so much information, so much detail. This episode was so much fun to go through. It really was. We get the cowboy back in the saddle. We got Boyd Pierce in a black, flowery, white flowers, red flowers. I can't even tell what kind of suit he had on, but, uh, you know. Boy, it's always looking very, very stylish as usual. But the Cowboys back. And the one thing about it, you just said, you know, Mid-South is, is pretty much on a roll right now. And it's because of the excellent storytelling in my eyes. What do you think? I think that is obviously the big reason for it. And they're going to start off this week's episode by catching us up on what's going on, including a new development about Carl Cox that they're going to talk about. But here at the very top, we're going to get to that. But also, we've talked about how Mid-South wrestling is growing in these months that we've been doing this show. They've picked up Leroy McGurk's territory. Their TV's in San Diego. Lots of things are happening. You're going to hear them talk about new television stations they've just added. So why don't we listen to the opening of this show? Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and all up on the network family, we want to welcome this week new stations, Little Rock, Arkansas, Channel 4, and Channel 34 in Oklahoma City, Jopton, Missouri, Channel 16, and Fort Smith, Arkansas, Channel 40. We welcome you to the Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Grizzly Smith has signed for us a tremendous card this week. All the champions of the area are here. The new North American heavyweight title holder, Bob Roop, will be in action. Also, Alpha and Sika, the Samoan Warriors, managed by General Skandor Akbar. The Louisiana state title holder, Junkyard Dog, joins forces with Mississippi champion, Mr. Olympia. We have lots of great action. The one-man gang is here. Paul Arndorf, Tully Blanchard, and we also have our greatest guest commentator ever, according to all the letters that you've seen in, and surely to me he means a lot, Cowboy Bill Watts. Bill, welcome. Well, thank you, boy, and I'm glad you're so partial. And, of course, we have a lot of things happening. Well, first of all, we have some mysteries surrounding the disappearance or the failure to appear of Killer Carl Cox. And Reeser Biden is going to question the man that seems to be at the bottom of most of the accidents or mysterious situations later in today's uh, program, Skandar Akbar. But then Paul Orndorff, always a bridesmaid, never a bride, it seems like, with the North American title. This has been going on for some three years. I remember when he first won the North American title from Ernie Ladd a couple of years ago, and it was uh, the, the ruling was overturned because it wasn't a signed title match. He ended up having to beat Ernie Ladd twice. And then the situation where Jake Roberts, one time Paul Orndorff was late to the title match, and Jake Roberts won it, which seemingly really was a chink in Paul Orndorff's armor and, and, and the strain got him and, and he's been on the other side of the fence, so to speak. And then last week, the 17th of March, Paul Orndorff was scheduled to wrestle Ted DiBiase for the North American title with the stipulation that Bob Roop would be barred from ringside. And as you opened the show and Jim Ross was your guest commentator, Bob Roop came out and maintained that because DiBiase had soundly defeated Paul Orndorff in a recent cage match for the North American title, it seemed to rob Paul Orndorff of his confidence, and he couldn't stand to take the chance to come on TV again and to fail. It was just an ego thing where he, he couldn't stand that pressure, and it sounded very logical 
watching the career of Paul Orndorff because he does have a super ego. And Roop assured us practically he wouldn't be here. And then as it progressed, it turned out that Paul Orndorff wasn't here. And apparently, though, Paul Orndorff and Bob Roop and Skandar Akbar had sat down together and had a plan of action against Ted DiBiase in mind. And Roop went in the ring, and the plan was executed, including the one-man gang. And fortunately or unfortunately, we cannot reverse a decision based upon the videotape replays, as cannot the baseball, basketball, or the National Football League. It just has not been sanctioned by any sports association yet. But we'll rejoin those final moments where Bob Root won the North American title and Ted DiBiase has joined the, the list of the injured at the hands of the one-man gang. Well, now they recap everything, but let's talk about what we just uh, heard. First of all, Boyd does something that I don't think enough people do anymore. Pronounces Missouri as Missouri. We're in Joplin, Missouri. I love that. There's something very old-timey about that that I don't hear enough people do nowadays. Chris Matthews on TV sometimes does that, but where is Carl Cox? That's the big thing that they start with. Yeah, we're, again, storytelling, you know, making it all fit together, make sense, watch his back. He's tying up what happened last week. He's moving on to this week. Uh, why, you know, he's he's explaining why we can't uh, talk about, you know, reversing a decision, even though within the replay, we saw what happened, you know, and we see that, uh, you know, there was some shenanigans involved, but nope, we can't do it. It's just not going to happen. This is... Uh, good television man this is what you know looped me in as a kid and, and and locked me down to wanting to see this stuff every week and i think i've mentioned this on the previous uh, weeks this is how mid-south i feel like opens a lot from here on out where the first mm, opening of the show eight to ten minutes in they uh, they seem to like to recap what happened and again let me repeat when you are in a day and age where vcrs are around but not everybody has them. I think this is a positive where you use, uh, I guess, the first quarter of your television. And maybe it's not exactly a quarter, but you know what I mean? The first bit of your television to tie all the stories together before you move forward in this week's episode, uh, which is what I loved about the one-hour uh, television of wrestling back then. Uh, going back to what you said about Joplin, Missouri, uh, Boyd also has a fine way of saying my home state of Louisiana. He says Louisiana. Uh, so uh, that is uh, – uh, Boyd, that's, that's a Boyd Pierce. It's not just a Boyd Pierceism because I've heard a lot of people in the South say it like that, Louisiana or or Missouri. So, yeah, you, you make a good point there. It takes Watts two minutes to accurately explain everything that's going on. And, I mean, it sounds like that's not a big deal, but it is when you take into account current wrestling and current commentating where nothing matters, nothing sinks in. They're just yelling at you and trying to sell you stuff. No one ever really explains, and part of it is because if the storylines don't make sense, you can't explain it. But no one explains what's going on and why you should care. And that's the reason why Mid-South Wrestling, if you watch Mid-South Wrestling, if you watch the fans, everyone cares. Everyone knows what's going on. There isn't any mystery. And there's always references on this episode and in the future to Mid-South Wrestling having the smartest fans. You know, they always talk about that. And that's something that any wrestling promoter would probably say on their air. You know, oh, we have the smartest fans. We have the greatest fans. But in Mid-South, I think there is a legitimate argument that the majority of that fan base had a really good idea of what was going on more than any other wrestling fan in any other territory because of the explanations they would get on TV, whether it was Jim Ross last week or Bill Watts this week. 
Yeah, they were they were they weren't educated in terms of knowing it was a work. Which what you're saying is is exactly correct. As Mid South fans, even as young kids, you were educated to knowing what was going on in your promotion, so that when things did happen, it made sense. Like you 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 knew the way Watts tied everything together, each and every segment, each and every match, uh, where where things stood and what was going on with the various storylines and various angles that were happening. There was no mystery of why did such and such do that and what, what happened. You know, go back to a couple of weeks ago, you talked about uh, Paul Orndorff, and this is just, this is, Watts wasn't on this, but it was Orndorff tying the story together when he said, you know, Roop was in the shower and he's bra- he right before he's bragging about winning the title. So while he's in the shower is the moment he took to, to dig through his bag and he finds uh, the cord. I forget what it was. I'm not a mechanic, but he, he finds the, <laughs> the cord to his starter or whatever. And like just a little nuances of that made all the sense in the world as a fan. It just it just makes sense. And it's not insulting. And then you as a fan, you're educated on why all this is happening and, and, and Orndorff's reasoning for digging in his bag at that moment and that he did it while, you know, he didn't do it while Roop was standing there. He he was strategically waited until Roop disappeared into the shower. All that to say, just good storytelling and tying it all up to make it make sense. Well, here's another example, too, because they're able to explain why everything is plausible. They're able to justify everything that happens and put it in the context of the show so it makes sense. After Bill Watts talks, we get a little bit of a recap of when Ted DiBiase lost the North American title. You may remember, Bob Roop snuck in, got the match because Orndorff couldn't make it, wins the title with help from Akbar and the one-man gang. Why was that decision allowed to go forward? Why didn't Mid-South Wrestling do something about it? Well, let's hear what Bill Watts has to say about that. Well, boy, we can see, without a doubt, the influence of Skandar Akbar. We can see the cunning of Bob Roop. And, of course, Ted DiBiase joins that growing injury list. Unfortunately, the videotape replay does not sanction an overthrow of any decision. Just as last week when Killer Carl Cox with his entrenching tool and the junkyard dog took the measure of Alpha Seek of the Samoans, that still goes in the record book as a win for the junkyard dog and Killer Carl Cox. But I think what's happening is some of these guys have decided to fight fire with fire. However, the mystery that unfolded was that Orndorff arrived the day that Roop won the title. He arrived late, very agitated, saying that his car had been tampered with and that he had figured that it was DiBiase. When he found out Roop had taken his place and they had executed the plan and won it, Orndorff went up to the dressing room to congratulate Roop. Roop was in the bathroom, showering off, and when Orndorff arrived, the other wrestlers said, what are you doing here? Bob Roop said you'd cracked up and weren't going to be here. And the lights went on in Paul Orndorff. He realized that the man that had more to gain even than DiBiase and he realized down deep that DiBiase wouldn't stoop to such skullduggery, was Paul was Bob Roop. And Orndorff searched Roop's possessions and found a duplicate set of his car keys and also found the, the wire going from the coil to the distributor to his car. And Bob Roop had, had assured everybody that he wasn't going to be here. Even Paul Orndorff can add two and two when it's that plain. And we went off the air at that day with Orndorff in a rage. And then last week... Paul Orndorff went out when Bob Roop was to wrestle Buddy Landell and took Buddy Landell's place in a match that was not sanctioned and didn't go into the record books. But let's look at that brief bit of action. I think it'll show you the intensity of Paul Orndorff. And now we get a recap of what you may remember was going to be Bob Roop versus Buddy Landell. Orndorff comes out, orders everyone out of the ring, and a brawl ensues. But what's it? I mean, I love when they explain why something can't happen to the heels because it would also happen to the baby faces. Like, it's just a simple explanation. Well, we can't overturn that. We don't have a video replay rule here in Mid-South. And by the way, it would also affect Killer Carl Cox and the JYD last week. 
Yeah, and see, I was – God, this is ironic because I was literally making a point about this a couple of weeks ago on Booking the Territory, how I remember as a kid uh, seeing replays and going, well, why can't you overturn it? Well, here you go. Watch is explaining why you can't overturn it. It's just not how we're set up. It's not It's not in the rule book, you know, and the rules are everything, right? So we follow the rules. Like, you know, it just all made sense tying it all together. I, I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't really know what else you can say about it other than – it's just really done well. Well, Mike, from there, we move on to the aforementioned Bob Root North American champion in a non-title match against Coco Samoa. And uh, Alfred Neely is the referee. I have to say, this is a fun little match. Uh, yeah, this was like, so Coco Samoa, they're in this non-title match. And it's just, you never, like, I don't know, you know, Coco Samoa held his own against Roop. I mean, Watts even mentions at one point how Samoa is keeping the pressure, you know, on Bob Roop. I mean, it's it's really done well. You know, they they didn't just go out there and have Bob Roop squash him. And I've heard a lot of old wrestlers back in the day talk about, you know, what's what if I'm beating you within a minute or two and not giving you anything, does that really do anything for me? Yeah, you know, I get a win, but um, the fact that I can't even showcase, you know, me wrestling you and, and if I'm doing it too quickly, what does it really mean? And I don't know. I kind of thought about that when I was watching this match, it was like Coco Samoa's out there and he, he gave Roop, I mean, it wasn't a long, long match, but he got a lot of offense in, in the beginning and he gave Roop kind of everything he could handle. And I just thought it was really good. And then the other thing Watts does during this, he's kind of tying things all together like he always does. He sells us on the credibility of Roop as a champion, which I thought was very important after not only what happened in the opening of this show over the previous weeks. Even though Roop won the way he did, Watt still does a good job of selling us. Well, let's actually hear that audio right now. We will talk about it on the other side. Boy, Bob Roop is certainly a formidable opponent, both physically and, of course, mentally. And I often maintain that when you get into the top ranks in the pro wrestlers, the physical end is a pretty well even unless you've got a superstar or a super powerhouse like the Junkyard Dog. And what sets them apart is their mental ability. And Bob Roop, you got to realize, was an amateur national champion, national AAU, Pan-American champion, an Olympian, both in uh, freestyle and Greco-Roman. He's just 12 years in the pro. He's right in the prime of his career. And the man certainly has shown he's the one that developed the counter to Ted DiBiase's figure four leg lock and you'll notice when he beat DiBiase even though it was after the one man gang had caused DiBiase's leg to be wrenched with the ligaments all stretched and strained but Roop when he put on oh great move by Coco Samoa he's got Roop and a near fall two count not enough Coco Samoa's an explosive young athlete tremendous competitor when Bob Roop had DiBiase into that submission position. He didn't take a chance of DiBiase with his great courage and ability. Even though the one-man gang had torn his leg up, he didn't take a chance that DiBiase could reverse the figure four. He put a variation of it on, a very excruciating submission-type hold. But that shows you just how deep and intense he thinks and, and what a trap he laid or what advantage he took of Paul Orndorff, if you can feel any sorrow for Paul Orndorff, because I think that when these... These rat packs run around together. they got to believe that if you're a rat, you're going to react like a rat even to your friends. And excuse, I hope I'm not offending anybody by that. Such a vivid uh, description of what I think. And, uh, and I realize sitting here with you, Boyd Pierce, I'm, I'm not supposed to be uh, prejudiced in any way, but I can't help it after all the years I spent in the ring and some of the things I suffered at the hands of these people. 
Bill Watts is very sorry he offended the rats, I guess, <laughs> when he starts talking about the heels running around like a rat pack, which, by the way, is a funny little bit of foreshadowing considering what will be coming in the months ahead. But, you know, he's explaining why Roop has credibility as a champion right there. He did it very well. He's explaining why Roop's, you know, credible as a champion, even though we saw how he won and basically got Orndorff, uh, I don't say disqualified, but uh, Orndorff uh, couldn't make it to the match. So Roop took his place and Roop wins. I mean, he, he just does. He ties it up all good. And there was a lot of foresight there when he mentions the Rat Pack. Uh, it's funny because when I was listening to this back, I go, wait, he mentions the Rat Pack and he mentions their, th- them turning on each other. There's just... There's just so much there that, you know, we're going to see uh, short. I don't say shortly, but uh, we'll see in the future on Mid-South uh, related to the Rat Pack. So that, that was an interesting choice of words that he mentioned there. It makes me wonder. So I guess Watts did. Is that Watts saying he came up with the name Rat Pack when we finally get there? I don't know. I'm I'm just asking that because who knows? Uh, but this was good. The whole the, the important thing, too, is the entire time that that commentary is happening with Watts. If you, you heard me say before we listened to it, that Coco Samoa got a lot of offense in. Samoa's on offense the whole time during that. I mean, it wasn't until another minute or two later, even after that, that Roop finally turns the tables and, and can get Samoa where he defeats him. So I, I just thought it really, really good stuff, um, you know, from, from not only Watts right there, but in this match with Coco Samoa. Yeah, actually, I have a little more audio I want to play here, Mike. This is Watts about Samoa and about the pace he's taking to Bob Roop. Again, he's keeping the pressure on Bob Roop. Not going to give him a chance to breathe. That's the smartest thing. When you're up against a good man, the greatest thing in the world is to put the offense on him because when a guy is just defensing, he has a hard time thinking about going on the offensive. You can keep a guy and you're trying to pin him and all he can think about is bridging or getting out of that pinhole. It's hard for him to think of a plan of action to stop you or to counter you. See, again, not much there, a little bit of detail, but I love that. I love that he's explaining the mindset, what it's like when all of a sudden you have to be defending yourself as opposed to being on the offense. It's just simple and to the point. It's not anything insulting. It's just little things like that. I mean, he's not screaming at the top of his lungs, just just presenting you what you're seeing and then explaining why it works in a wrestling match. I did laugh, though. Watts at one point. I don't. I, I got a feeling someone would take offense to this nowadays. Watts says, um, "I think uh, Coco Samoa goes for like a monkey flip in Samoa in the corner, and Samoa tries to." Watts says, "Samoa tried to climb Roop like a tree, like he does in Samoa, but Roop hit him in the throat." I don't have a like a timestamp <laughs> on that, but like when he said that, I just kind of chuckled and, and laughed a little because I don't know. I, you know, we live in a PC world nowadays. Someone would say, "Oh my God, why did he say that?" You know where I'm going with that, but. Yeah, uh, good stuff, uh, good match. But, uh, you know, Bob Roop wins, and uh, I think he won with – I think he caught Samoa coming off the second rope, and then he caught him in like a belly-to-belly and then finished him off. Yeah, crossbody into a belly-to-belly for the win for Bob Roop. And uh, I don't think it was this episode. Maybe it was one of the future ones. But at one point, Bob uh, – Bob. At one point, Bill Watts calls Coco Samoa an animal, too. And it's not like meant in an offensive way, I don't think. It's more like, you know, oh, the part of the world he's from. And again, that is offensive, but it wasn't what the uh, the goal was when he was talking about this babyface undercard performer here at this time. So we go from this match, Mike, to your favorite, Mike Boyer versus Paul Orndorff with Jack Howe as the referee. Mike Boyer. I'm going to say this next week, too. Mike Boyer continues to look as ridiculous as you can imagine if you're not watching along with us. Uh, this Frankensteiner-looking hairdo or something to the effect of being, you know, sticking his finger in a light socket. 
and then the way he flops around the rim, I, I don't know how else to explain it other than um, he just looks funny. And that's all I can really say when Orndorff uh, eventually hits, uh, hits Boyer with a power slam for the win. Uh, what did you have from it? Uh, not too much. You know, Watts does explain on commentary how some fans are now for Paul Orndorff and some fans are still against him. But no matter what, you always get action, which is, you know, a nice way of trying to dress him up as a baby face while still accepting that some fans don't see him that way. And the other note I had was Bill Watts has a problem during this match where he keeps calling Mike Boyer Bob Boyer. And of course, Bob Boyer, for longtime wrestling fans, was Bobby Bold Eagle in Victor Bruiser's WWA. So I guess that's why Bill Watts is getting him confused. But at least twice, he calls him Bob Boyer during this match. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the most eloquent speaking person, so I can, I, can, I can relate to the cowboy there where you just get things twisted up. Yeah, I, I, I didn't catch it, but uh, it doesn't surprise me. Old territory wrestling, everything wasn't always tight when it comes to things like that. But the storytelling was perfect. The future Mr. Wonderful wins with a power slam. And from there, we go to Bill Watts who, along with Boyd Pierce, is going to throw it to Reeser Bowden, who has an interview with Skandar Akbar, and obviously Akbar is in the middle of everything happening in Mid-South Wrestling right now. Every single thing, from DiBiase losing the North American title to Ernie Ladd, everything Akbar is in the middle of. So let's hear what he has to say about some of his recent activities. Boyd Pierce, it seems like there's a growing list of injured personnel. And whenever an injury happens, you can almost always... Ask Skandar Akbar, and if he's not directly or indirectly responsible, I'm sure he knows. Reeser Bowden asked him about the mysterious situation surrounding Killer Carl Cox. You be the judge whether or not he answered it or whether he sidestepped the issue. Last week right here on television, you saw the junkyard dog team up with Killer Carl Cox, and they apparently gave the Samoans a pretty good shellacking. But since that time, some mysterious things have happened. Killer Carl Cox has not shown up for any of his bookings during the week. And, of course, anytime anything mysterious happens around the area, the fans automatically say, probably Skandor Akbar had something to do with it. Now, I'd like to just ask you, have you had anything to do with this, or do you know anything about it? I'm sure there's a logical explanation for everything. You know, he could have had a stroke, could have got sick, a heart attack. Maybe he got beat up in a truck stop on the way to Dallas. Who knows? What do you mean on the way to Dallas? Now, just a minute, Reeser. Every time somebody can't make any commitments or bookings in the Mid-South, I get the blame for it. I had nothing to do. I had nothing to do at all with it. Maybe somebody out there doesn't like Marines. And speaking of Marines and a lunatic, this man didn't even know when he was out of a combat zone. He took an entrenching shovel and crowned my Samoans on the head. And they gave him the victory. Now, how can Mid-South condone tactics of a maniac like Killer Carl Cox? But now, I'm happy that he's out of wrestling. Whatever happened, I'm happy that he's out. And there's two more obstacles in Mid-South that we will overcome. And I'm talking about the Mississippi Heavyweight Championship, the Louisiana Heavyweight Championship. As you know, we already own the Mid-South tag team championships and Roop is now a North American champion so that leaves two and remember what happened to Cox all falls into a pattern don't team up with the junkyard dog because he's a marked man well we still don't know what happened to killer Carl Cox but maybe Skandor Akbar might let it out sooner or later well, Boyd Pierce, I'm not a trial attorney or a top litigator, as my good friend 
Wild Bill Sellers in Sepulpa, Oklahoma is. But I bet even to the layman they saw that Reeser Bowden had brought up a great point when he trapped Skandar Akbar and that Akbar seemingly knew the approximate location of the disappearance of killer Carl Cox. But I guess it'll all come out in the wash, as they say. Well, then you hear a couple things there, Mike. One, of course, uh, Watts with a plug real quick for a friend of his, Wild Bill Sellers, the uh, trial attorney in Oklahoma. Apparently, he was a top trial attorney. But also, and, and this is one of the little things that I love, when Reeser starts talking to Akbar and he says, where's Carl Cox? The first thing he says is, he could have had a stroke. The first guess he has is that Carl Cox had a stroke. I love that. <laughs> stroke or a heart attack. <laughs> Yeah, and then he goes into this whole thing about, um, uh, or he could have got beat up in a truck stop on the way to Dallas. Well, that's really random and kind of specific on a location in which research says, how do you know he got beat up on the way to a way to Dallas? Uh, the little smirky, snarky way of research saying, gotcha. Uh, basically, you know, Akbar right there just admitted to doing in killer call, but he didn't really admit it, although he did admit it, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, I really really like that just uh and i caught something there from akbar he he said louisiana too although not with as much of a country accent <laughs> as you know our buddy board pierce would say uh this was fun this was this this was this was this was funny but it was good too plus just research is so funny as a interviewer because he's just so casual nothing alarms him just i'm here with akbar who's doing all these things and i know he is and i'm gonna say it right to him and he's not gonna do anything about it and it's just yeah. it's so funny the way – and then everyone walks away, and Reese is still there alone just looking at the camera like, well, I guess that's – every single time, every morning interviews, they leave, and it just, it's just Reese left there. He's just like, oh, I'm still here. And then they go back to Watson, boy. <laughs> and he doesn't look like he's got his pants down when he does that. And what I mean by that is like he's surprised. He just kind of looks at the camera and kind of – doesn't really shrug his shoulders, but he's like, okay, well, I guess there you have it. And then we get back to Watson Boyd. Uh, good stuff as always, though. From here, we go to a non-title tag team match, the Mid-South Tag Team Champions, the Samoan Warriors, Afa and Sika, versus Buddy Landell and Jesse Barr, a good underneath young babyface tag team. A non-title match, Jesse Barr gets pinned via Samoan drop with Alfred Neely as the ref. But during this match, Mike, there's some interesting commentary. Watts explains a little bit about Akbar and his recent warnings. Let's listen to this right now. Of course, Skandar Akbar certainly sidestepped the issue of Killer Carl Cox, but I think his warning was very, very clear. It seems like anybody that teams with a dog or gets near him becomes a marked man. And the dog is definitely marked. But the other man he's saying is a marked man is the Mississippi champion, Mr. Olympia. But talking to Mr. Olympia, he said, I'm a marked man also. That's why I'm under the mask. So that when I'm in my private life, nobody will know who I am, and nobody knows the things I've done in the past. And he said, I signed a pact with a junkyard dog, and I'll stick with it. That is living dangerously, the way things have been going lately. And certainly, Akbar did have valid reason in saying killer Carl Cox with his green and broke every rule in the book. But I think, like you say, these guys are fed up. They're going to fight fire with fire. Well, right there, Watts is explaining what's going on. Just like Akbar just did, he's reinforcing everything Akbar just said. The JYD, he's someone Akbar's trying to get, but also Mr. Olympia. This is why Mr. Olympia wears his mask, so that when he leaves the arena, he could be left alone by the likes of Akbar. That and Watts always, that's just another example of Watts having a good explanation for guys that wear masks, because he, in the future, he's going to, there's something that happens a, a while from now related to, um, 
masked wrestlers and I don't know, I, to hell with it, I'll spoil it. Stagger Lee and someone uh, yeah. mentioning about where Stagger Lee, you know, I, I, who is this man? And and it's and Watts gives a great explanation about just not only Stagger Lee, but all mask wrestlers in his promotion. And this is one example of, of that right there when he talks about Olympia and his mask. It's, uh, you know, you don't have to agree with it to to say that, well, at least he explained it and made it make some sense. And that's kind of what he did there. Um, uh, I love the part also, like you, you just said it though, where he ties into everything that Akbar's talking about. Akbar's basically after anybody that's that's on JYD side. It's been that way now. We're in April. Um, you know, that that all started into December, early January here. So we're, we're, we're four months, you know, four and a half months into this whole thing with Akbar going after JYD's people and anyone who sides with JYD. From here, Mike, we move on to another match with one of Akbar's wrestlers, the One Man Gang versus Rick Ferrara. Uh, the one-man gang wins with a splash, the future 747 splash. Jack Howe is the referee. But during this match, I have a little bit of audio I want to play. Bill Watts runs down some upcoming dates for Mid-South Wrestling. Now, we've been doing this show for a while now. He doesn't usually run down shows because, obviously, the TV airs on different days and different times and different places. But he actually runs down some of the upcoming shows including the Superdome, which is the first time he's done that here on the show, and also a little bit about how and why wrestlers are paid. So let's listen to this right now. Boyd Pierce, whenever we get ready for that first big, super spectacular week of the summer, or the pending summer, the spring, or whatever you call it, seems like a lot of things happen. And Shreveport, April 23rd, Hearst Memorial Coliseum, a big one. Jackson, Mississippi, April the 24th. The Superdome, May the 1st in New Orleans. May the 2nd, a spectacular in Lake Charles. May the 3rd in Tulsa, Oklahoma. May the 4th in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So we're getting ready to go into a bunch of super spectaculars. And these wrestlers, beings they are paid based on the percentage of the gate, plus their contractual arrangements with Mid-South and Grizzly Smith, they're all jockeying and vying for that top slot. Hey, Mike, how would you like to do that? How would you like to do, I think it was Baton Rouge, Tulsa, Lake Charles? Three days in a row. What kind of drive is that? I mean, wow, Tulsa. That just when he said Tulsa, that just hurt my heart. Uh, I, I that exhausts me right there when you start talking. So name those again. It was Baton Rouge, Tulsa, and what? Lake Charles, Louisiana. Yeah. So I mean, you, you, goodness gracious, that's a brutal trip. I mean, Lake Charles to Baton Rouge is, is nothing, but the the whole Tulsa thing in Oklahoma just you literally are. Um, I mean, if you, I 49 wasn't even built at the time. So right. if you're going from bat, you're going from Baton Rouge to Shreveport to Dallas and then up to Tulsa, that right there in itself is, is a haul and a half. I mean, you're, that's an exhausting drive. And that's the future of the territory. It's going to be nothing but exhaustive drives from this point forward. <laughs> the the beat down that those guys had to take, like, it's one thing to do the Louisiana towns. Because, I mean, the thing about, even in, even in a day and age of not having I-49 from Shreveport to Baton Rouge, you still, I mean, that's still doable. I mean, it's still, it's not optimal, but it's still doable and you aren't going stir crazy. Man, you start dragging in there and cutting over to Dallas to go up north to, to Oklahoma. I'm assuming that's how they went. I, I don't even know because I'm not, I mean, I didn't drive it back then, but that's just a haul and a half, man. The, the, the exhaustion that those guys had to have. When when you hear Corny talk about the brutal drives in Mid-South, I mean, he's not exaggerating. It, that, that just, 
it had to be a beatdown. And then on top of it, you got to get there and freaking wrestle and put on a hell of a performance after being, you know, crammed in a car with two, three other guys um, every single night. Just, I mean, you know, it's just a, it's, it's just a beatdown. They're not exaggerating when they talk about the drives in the Mid-South Territory. That's for damn sure. And the big difference is in the 80s when the WWF expanded and they had those crazy schedules and those guys had to fly all over the place and they didn't get any time off, the work suffered. The work changed. Things slowed down. You didn't do that in Mid-South Wrestling. You made all those dates and you worked hard because if Bill Watts heard that you dogged it, you were going to get fined or maybe you just weren't going to be back. Yeah, yeah. Anybody who worked for Cowboy Bill Watts can tell you that. You, uh, uh, as one man gang said, even if you died in a car accident, you better get somebody to drag your body to the building to get the one, two, three on. Now we get something on the show that is totally awesome, Mike, and that is the return of Ernie Ladd in the middle of the ring being interviewed by Reeser Bowden. We'll talk about this on the other side. Let's play this right now. This is great stuff. Well, Boyd Pierce, Ernie Ladd was injured February the third. Right here on Mid-South Wrestling, February the 26th, he had the orthoscopic surgery. Uh, you folks at home have seen a segment of that operation. He was back here today talking to Reeser Bowden about returning to the wrestling wars in two weeks. Let's see what Reeser Bowden and Ernie Ladd talked about in that interview. Right here on television, you saw a film describing the very serious surgery that... Uh, Big Ernie Ladd had on that knee because of an injury brought about by Skandor Akbar and his vicious gang. But Ernie, it looks like you've made great progress. I know that even though a lot of the wrestling fans didn't agree with your tactics, they did have sympathy for this because they said this shouldn't happen to anybody. Now, what is your progress exactly? My progress is great, Reese. You see, I can do with the cane or without the cane, but I have this cane for one particular purpose in case there's some rats in the bushes out there. You know, I like to used to hide in the bushes. But, Reese, let me tell you something. Yeah, somebody got to stop that one-man gang. Somebody got to stop Scandal Agbar. He has stole something from me. But first of all, Reese, let me clear the record up. I have gotten with Grizzly Smith, and I got me a mystery partner. And I'm going to tell you about that a little later on. And I've signed for two weeks from here, right here on this television. And I want to turn it out. I want to put something on somebody that soap and water won't wash off the back. I promise you. know that lies up there building them pots? It won't get it off their back. Risa, I got a mystery partner. But first of all, I call one man, a brother that I know is supposed to be a serious brother, and offer them $10,000, Risa. And what happens? Hang the phone up. None other than the junkyard dog. I said, let's bury the hatchet, brother. I'm over here, brother. Let's bury the hatchet. I need some help right now. What up? So what I got to do the next best thing. I got me a man that's real. Things worked out even better anyway, Risa. I got me a mystery partner, Risa. He can go any kind of way, upside down, all around, anywhere else. You see, that one, boy, one, one man gang come in here. He come off the top rope on me. Okay, Alpha and Seeker. I took him and fed him. I brought him to the light. What did they do? They turned crow to turn to double cross me. What did Akbar do? He ate in my house. He stayed with me. What did he do? He turned against me. He was stealing all the time. What did they do? They hurt Mike George. They hurt Ernie Ladd. They hurt Ted DiBiase. They hurt Dick Murdoch. And all right, now I understand they can't locate Killer Carl Cox. Something's wrong with Killer Carl Cox. Now, what if somebody's got to stop him, Risa? I agree. Somebody, Risa, got to stop him. Two weeks from now, find out what Ernie Ladd does. Well, Boyd Pearson, two weeks. Big Ernie Ladd returns to the wrestling wars against Alpha and Sika. General Skandar Akbar, the one-man gang, and he says he's got a mystery partner. That'll give Akbar something to think about for a couple of weeks. Right now, let's go to the ring for the introduction of the next event. 
Okay, this promo is so good. I got to mention Ernie Ladd shaved because obviously now he's a baby face, so he can't have facial hair. Uh, it doesn't, it's not as flattering a look. Uh, he looks so cool when he has the facial hair with the afro, but he's shaved. He's in the ring. He's in a sweatsuit. He's got his cane and he is just so cool here. The promo is so good. He's talking so fast and so slick, but I love that little detail about the junkyard dog there. I got to work on my Ernie Ladd impersonation because <laughs> this is I want to I want to be able to redo what he just did right here and make it just so great that people would be like, wow, that sounds just like him. this was good. I think the first thing he said, he's talking about the cane because you never know about the rats that are going to come out of the bushes. Just that little line. He talks about uh, he tried to, you know, he called JYD, even though he he's admitting, you know, I, I did a lot of wrong. You know, I, I, I know what I've done. But I, before a common interest, I tried to get the dog to side with me so we got buried a hatchet. And just the way he's just rattling is just good. Um, and then, he, you know, he talks about the mystery partner. We'll have to find that out in two weeks. So like and, and Reeser, when he throws it back to Watson Boyd, that little seed is planted to where, you know, you're watching this and you go, oh, damn, that was a great promo. And you're like, you're all into it. And now I really got to keep watching because I got to watch to see what happens in two weeks. All around, just good stuff from Ernie Ladd right there. Just phenomenal. I mean, I, I don't know how else to put it. Um, I, I just thoroughly impressed with, with what he did right there. You know, we saw it a little bit with Paul Orndorff, and now we see with Ernie Ladd. When a heel turns babyface, the babyfaces don't automatically accept them. They don't forget everything they did when they were heels. And I love that Ernie Ladd called up the junkyard dog, offered him $10,000, by the way. I don't know if that was before or after the dog wouldn't listen to him. But, you know, he's like, come on, brother, let's bury the hatchet. Let's bury the hatchet. And it wasn't <laughs> that he got turned down. It was that the dog hung up. The dog hung up on Ernie Ladd. Now, Ernie Ladd's trying to be a baby face now. But still, the top baby face knows all the things he's done. Ernie said, you know, you have to beat out the, whatever you said, the rats that come out of the bushes. Then he also goes, I used to be one of those rats in the bushes. You know, he's acknowledging yeah. he was that guy. And that's probably why the junkyard dog doesn't want anything to do with him. All right. So, and again, you made a good point about how you don't because of all the wrong Ernie's done, the baby faces are not just like going to be stupid and accepting of the fact that, oh, OK, now you've turned a leaf. I forgive you. No, 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 no. Or I forget. No, they might forgive him, but they're not forgetting everything he's done. That's that's part of good booking and good storytelling and wrestling because they should not forget i think about it for not only this example but like it happened in smoky mountain wrestling when ron wright and the dirty white boy just screwed over tracy smothers a lot and then they went to bury the hatchet it took tracy smothers like four five six weeks before he could even consider like putting the bad blood to the side and i forget what actually happened that actually ended up turning it to where tracy was then okay i trust you but it, it was it, it just that the little storytelling there of okay so the baby face turns you can't all of a sudden have them just shake hands and i'm sorry not the baby face the heel turns and all of a sudden they shake hands and now they're all good it doesn't work that way it doesn't work that way in real life when someone betrays you and it will never work that way in wrestling so you can't insult your viewers by doing it that way where they're all of a sudden instant acceptance it doesn't work that way so make it the same way in wrestling well that, you actually just said something completely wrong it does work that way in wrestling which is wrong it doesn't work that way in mid-south wrestling you know i mean okay okay remember Survivor yeah, series yeah. 87 Randy Savage is a team. It's like Jake Roberts, Ricky Steamboat. It's like every guy that he had a problem with, or every like Ricky Steamboat got DDT'd on the floor by Jake Roberts. Ricky Steamboat had his larynx crushed 
by Randy Savage. And now they're all cool. They're all hanging out together, doing their poses, ready for their match. You would never see something like that here in Mid-South Wrestling. And if you did, they would explain to you exactly why this is in any way plausible and why this is in any way reasonable. Let me let me let me let me fix it. Let me fix it before you go to the next segment. What I what I the way I should state it is in wrestling, it's just like in life. If someone does you wrong, you will not accept them instantly. Some people it takes years. I mean, I know for me, I'm very I'm not a forgiving person. It's just in my nature. You do me wrong, I like cut you off and I'm I'm done. Where it should be that's how it should be in wrestling, which is how it is here. I totally agree. There's other places in wrestling where it's not done <laughs> the way it's done in life. Um don't get me on a tangent about just like survivor series in general, the last few years, all of a sudden uh, these people who have blood feuds are like teamed up with each other. Like, what the hell is that about? I mean, so yes, you are absolutely correct. Uh, It should be that way in wrestling. It's done that way in mid South where people don't forgive instantly. And it takes them some time. Uh, It should always be like that in every single wrestling and not just mid South wrestling. Cause that's how it is in life. Mike, from here we move on to a pretty fun little tag team match, although we'll talk a little bit about it. The Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia teaming up against Tully Blanchard, who's been here the last several weeks, and Wayne Ferris making a debut here. Um, Kids, little advice, don't bleach your eyebrows. It'll look weird, especially if you have a bleached mustache, too, and bleached blonde hair. Don't bleach your eyebrows. Wayne Ferris looks bizarre. I've never seen him look like this at any other point in his career. And again, there are no close-ups, so it's a little wide. So it just looks like there's nothing on his face. It looks like a blank face. You would almost think he had no eyebrows. But no, he bleached his eyebrows, and he didn't get a tan. He's just milky Wayne Ferris here. I wanted you to explain it for people who aren't watching along with us at all. <laughs> Did I do a good job of the explanation? Yeah. Well, you know, you're once again, you're not watching this stuff in high definition, and and the shot is is usually pretty wide. There's only a couple of camera angles, nothing really on the floor at this stage of the game in Mid South where you have a camera that can get in on it close. Um, so yeah, when you see it, you're you just he looks like he doesn't have eyebrows, and it's just a kind of a very strange look. But uh, so that that's why I wanted you to explain it just based on that. You know, I said it's a fun match, and it is. I enjoyed it, but it is really sloppy. And I couldn't tell exactly whose fault it was, you know, because at one point I thought it was Wayne Ferris. At another point, I thought it may have been the dog. And at another point, I didn't know if Tully knew where he was in the ring, although I I think he probably did because he was a ring technician. But there are points in this match where it just kind of it gets very sloppy. And they're everyone's like on top of each other, you know, like no one knows where they are in the ring, it seems like. Well, you just stole my phrase. I was about to say they're on top of each other a lot. And I don't know. I just think it was just kind of one of those things where. Uh, maybe all four of these guys hadn't worked together a lot and that may be the explanation at that stage. I don't know. They certainly hadn't. I mean, you're right about that. They hadn't worked together a lot. Yes. Holly Blanchard wasn't in there often. And this is Wayne Ferris's first match. Right. First, first TV match from it's out. So it's, I think that had something to do with it. I don't want, like, I don't think you can blame, like, put the put the blame on any one of them individually. I just think it was a situation where there was a, a an exam, you know, they're in there, there is a four way going on. They're all four in the ring, and and they just are, you know, they they probably called a little bit of that, but not a whole lot, and um, just not being familiar with each other in the ring, they kind of were on top of each other a, a bunch of times, and you know, in the end. The JYD and Olympia obviously get the win over Ferris and Tully Blanchard, but uh, they they were on top of each other. It wasn't as crisp as it could have been, uh, but, you know, still uh, nice to see JYD out there and the fans go crazy when him and Olympia win. During this match, and by the way, since you already just uh, referenced it, JYD pins Wayne Ferris with the thump, 
And during this match, Bill Watts has a little bit to say about everything that's going on with the dog, with Akbar, with the Samoans. So let's listen to this right now. That's right. That's the two men marked by General Skandar Akbar, the Mississippi champion, Mr. Olympia, and of course, the Louisiana champion and everybody's champion, the true superstar in wrestling today, the Junkyard Dog. And these two men individually are great, but as a team, Boyd Pierce, they hold non-title victory over Alpha and Sika and are pressuring them heavy for that title because the one way to destroy an army is to take away their credentials. And as long as Alpha and Sika can hold the Mid-South tag titles, they can't be run out of the Mid-South area. And I'm sure that's what's on Dog and Mr. Olympia's mind. And, of course, you heard Ernie Ladd refer earlier to the fact that he found out the dog's number and called him and asked the dog to be his partner, and dog hung up on him. I think there's no one watching this TV anywhere that would expect the dog to do any less. You know, Ernie Ladd says he can bury the past and let bygones be bygones, but how could the junkyard dog? There's no way. Too much water under the bridge. Besides, a dog would never know when Ernie Ladd would double-cross him. However, Ernie Ladd says that the dog turned him down, he got a mystery partner. I'm sure Stan Akbar is going to wonder right up until match time who that man is because it could be a lot of people knowing the tremendous influence and the tremendous skill and the silver tongue of Ernie Ladd. He could talk almost anybody to be his partner. I'd say anybody except the junkyard dog, and certainly I agree with the dog without even talking to him about it. Well, there it is. Watts explaining once again everything that's going on. Uh, you know, as I'm watching this, as we're listening to it, I have to say, 80s wrestling before tanning beds is such an interesting thing. Where Tully's pale, Wayne Ferris is pale, Mr. Olympia has no tan but giant shoulders. You know, a few years later, every single one of these guys would be Burnt. Every single one of these guys would be like orange. <laughs> I don't know if they were orange, but hey, Tully definitely had a nicer tan when he's on Saturday night on TBS in the future. Uh, and yes, you know, you're right. You look at Wayne Ferris. He definitely he is the maybe it's the hair that's doing it, but he is definitely one who is not as uh, he's not as milky as he is here. Did you notice what it said on the back of his tights? What does it say? I'm, I'm actually trying to look at it right now as you said that. What did that say? Hollywood Nights from the Bob Seger song. Okay. That's what <laughs> <laughs> Remember, he's Wayne Punk Rock. Well, actually, Bob Seger's not Punk Rock, so I don't know why that would have anything to do with it. But yes, Hollywood Nights, because of course, that was a big hit song right around this time. But from there, Mike, we go to our final match on this show. Iron Mike Sharp against Ron Cheatham. And uh, there's not... Much to say about this, Jack Howe is the referee, and Mike Sharp wins with his backbreaker. And with that, we have another episode of Mid-South Wrestling in the can. Yeah, they started that last match with about two minutes of TV time remaining. So, you know, I don't know what else you're going to have happen right there other than Sharp beating Cheatham. And Mike Sharp gets another victory with his uh, overhead uh, backbreaker that he does. And then Boyd Pierce and Watts sign things off. Uh, Good episode, though. I mean... Well-paced as usual, lots of stuff happening, lots of good stuff from Watson commentary, and um, we got a couple of in-ring interviews, too. I mean, I, that doesn't happen every single week where we had a, a multiple one, so I, I enjoyed Really good episode, as usual. Great episode, as usual, and as we wrap things up, I want to remind everyone, you can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast, Classic Wrestling Talk and Wrestling Humor, the 605 Super Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605Pod. And you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at 
super podcasts. Mike, how can people stay in touch with you and booking the territory? Come listen to Booking the Territory with myself, Hardbody Harper, and Doc Turner twice a week on Sunday nights and Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. We do two shows. One is on the NWA Saturday night mostly, and we do our Smoky Mountain Wrestling Review podcast every single Sunday night. You can find us. Just go to tinyurl.com slash bttpod. You can download every single show there or just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from, whatever app that is, whether it's Apple or Stitcher or Podcast Addict, Tune In Radio. It's all there for you every single episode uh, that we've done for three and a half years now. Really good stuff. We have a good time. We are known as the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast, so be warned as you come check us out. Uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter at Mike504Saints. And uh, that's about it, Brian. That's all I got for this week, man. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Book it.